good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be back together to worship with you again. I'm excited for our study. We're going to pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to take a big shift from this morning, but we're going to kind of take a similar vein of thought in learning to emphasize and focus in on our hope that we have and the, the joy that we can have and the perspective that we can approach it with. And one of the things I want to use as a disclaimer before we start is I know there's a lot of these things that I might say that, are, um, that may sound like life advice from a 22-year-old that I don't have that, that level of experience with this, but the things I hope to share with you are things that the Bible gives us and things that we can learn from it. They're universal. And, and so there are many of you that have gone through things, are going through things that I don't, I can't comprehend. I am not there in your position, so I'm not going to pretend to be there. But these things we're going to talk about, I think, are universal for everyone. And, and they're a beautiful thing to think about as we can set our hope in these things. I'm going to use my launching point in the New Testament, Luke chapter 7, and verse 22. At this point, John is having some issues. He's starting to struggle with his faith, it seems, in prison. As he, as he sends to, to Jesus and he asks him to say, hey, are you the one we're looking for or should we wait for somebody else? Is this really you? He's starting to struggle when he's in prison. And the way Jesus has these messengers go back to him and respond, Jesus says, go tell him, go tell John, verse 22, the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed. This isn't really where we're going with the study, but it's an interesting launching point as we go back to 2 Kings, because as we study through the life of Elisha in 2 Kings, many of the things we learn about Elisha's work, they're a shadow of what Jesus would be. They're a shadow of, of the man he would become and the works that he would do. Because these, these miracles of healing the blind, of raising the dead, uh, are all things that Elisha would do that Elisha didn't shadow that Jesus did in substance. So as we hop into 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, I found that interesting, and it kind of helps put Jesus at the focal point of, of whatever we study. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, we're going to start reading there. It says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with the servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you don't pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, which, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So what's going on? Back up in verse 8, this king of Syria is making war against the Israelites. He's trying to attack them. And the way he's going about this is he's trying to, act, he's trying to ambush them. He's trying to set up a spot where he's going to attack them when they come through. And so he sets this up, gets all ready. And, but Elisha, on the side of the children of Israel, gets word of this. I believe it's miraculous through God. He gets word of this and he tells the king of Israel, hey, don't go over there. They're coming to ambush you. And so they send a couple spies out, and sure enough, there they were waiting to ambush them. And it says that this happened several times. He warned him, don't go over there. They came through, man, they were going to ambush us there. And the king of Syria starts to get mad. 
He's a warring king. And he's like, okay, who's ratting out our plans? Who's the mole? Who's the rat? He says, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Verse 12, and one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. I don't know how this servant of the king of Syria knew this, if it was miraculous or if it was some kind of, uh, like if it was some kind of like trance that he just said it, like God put the knowledge in him to, knowledge in him to say it. I don't know how he knew this, but he's like, it's not, it's none of us. We're not doing this. He knows the words that you're speaking in your bedroom. And the first lesson I, I think we need to learn from this is that God's always there. He's always watching. And for the king of Syria, that was a bad thing. It was against his interest. But we can also take that on the flip side. It's usually a negative thing, I think, that we think about that, that God sees, God knows, so don't do that. It can be a comforting thing to know that God sees whatever you're doing, that he can see those, those silent works you do, that he can see those silent prayers and those quiet moments when you're spending time with him. He sees every bit of that. And it's in those silent moments that we're really defined. And the king of Syria was, was exposed. And it did not serve his interest. And so he started to get mad. And he said, go and see where he is. that I may send and get him. He's going to go after him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. So he doesn't just send a couple guys after him and take care of this pesky prophet. He sends an entire army. And he surrounds the city by night. And as I looked at some of the pictures and the maps, there's kind of a valley in between where Dothan was and they had mountains all around. And so I want you to start to picture this in your mind. You know, they surrounded the city with horses and chariots. It's their army. That's their military. Imagine for us, maybe if they had tanks or whatever, machine guns lined up surrounding him. In verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. That's not a very nice way to wake up. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He walks outside, he sees this, and he goes, What are we going to do? This alas is like, Oh no, we're stuck. What's going to happen? But listen to the calm resolve of Elisha's faith. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. At this point, maybe his servant was thinking, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. There's two of us. There's an army surrounding us. Do you see this? Wake up, Elisha. But I don't think we can really blame him for his response. Because I think that's how we respond a lot of times. That's how we feel. Because life's problems kind of come up quick. I mean, I'm, I'm young. I'm inexperienced. But I've seen... That in my own life is you think you're, you're doing fine and all of a sudden, bam, something hits you. You weren't ready for it. But Elisha's calm resolve allowed him to see through that. One of the things we're going to notice is the, the, the sight of these guys. The first one is the blindness of the believer. You may have already seen what we're talking about. The blindness of the unbeliever, second, and sight. The blindness of the believer Elisha's servant, this man, was, a, was likely in line, as I understand, to take his position. He was likely a believer. He was likely the next in command. And so he was a man of faith, probably. And yet he saw this situation, and he goes, what are we going to do? 
What's, what's going to happen? I, what are we going to do, Elisha? Look what happens. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. I'm so glad it tells us what he saw, because he could have just left it at that. But we learn exactly what was around him. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So whatever was outside waiting for him, those horses and chariots of fire, God goes, don't worry, horses and those horses and chariots that were surrounding them, I got horses and chariots of fire. God was there instantly. He was there the whole time. And one of the things that's interesting about this is Elisha didn't pray, God, please send these, let them show up, and take care of all this. He just said, open his eyes. So whatever he just saw, those horses and chariots of fire were already there. He just needed to have his eyes open to see that. And that allowed Elisha, that, that spiritual sight allowed Elisha to see that. What's there in your reality today? And you say, what am I going to do? We all have something. And the reality is, you know, yours might not be that horse and chariots of fire. Yours might be unique to your situation. But God shows us here that whatever your situation is, he has the, the strength or the fix for it. He has the power over it. Whatever it is, it's always waiting there. Whether we see it or not, that help is surrounding us. What we're going to see in a minute is it doesn't work out exactly like he thought it was going to happen even after seeing that. But whatever is in your situation, this is where we need to have our perspective start to open up. That this is there around God's people. This is around God's people right now. The psalmist says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And we learn from the Old Testament that it took one angel to wipe out a lot of people. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God's surrounding you to help you. And if you're a believer and you, you have that blindness that doesn't allow you to see that, let's refocus. Let's refocus on this. So one of the things you might be saying is, okay, what about me? Where's mine? You know, I, that's great that Elisha had his horses and chariots of fire surrounding him right there, and he could see that, and now it's boom. That was an instant help for him. That was an instant fix. What about me? Where's mine? I can't see that. And maybe it's so specific that I don't feel like God can even fix it simply. Did you notice where they went to get him at? It was in Dothan. The only other place in the Bible that Dothan is mentioned is back in Genesis when Joseph was sold into slavery. It's when his brothers sold, threw him in the pit, they grabbed him, they took advantage of him, and they threw him in the pit, and that's where he pled to God for deliverance. That's where he was just going out to get his brothers, and pretty soon they're selling him to slavery. Then he gets brought into a nation that's foreign. He doesn't know anybody. He doesn't have his faith system supported there. He doesn't have his family. He finally rises up through that system. Then he gets taken advantage of and cheated on. He gets dropped down to the bottom again. He gets left there in prison. He helps people out, but then they don't help him back. And so he's taken advantage of for some 40 years. My first question, did God 
Did he ask God for deliverance? I would say so, sitting in that pit. Question number two, did God deliver him? Man, we look back at that and we go, of course, that's one of the most amazing stories we can read about in the Old Testament. Some of the most amazing events were out of all 40 of those years, God was working things out. And it ultimately saved a lot of people, the nations around them from the famine that was going to come. God used him to prepare Egypt and the nations around for a huge famine that would have wiped them out. And at worst, would have wiped out his family spiritually. Because we see that God in turn used that to bring his family back together, to cause them to repent, to cause them change. And they all reunited at the end, safe in Egypt. And we go, wow. But that same place in Dothan is where this all started. Where his struggle was bigger than he knew how to handle, that that he couldn't handle. He had no control over the situation he was in. But we look back and we say he was delivered. It just took a while. It just took a long time. See, Elisha and his servant didn't need to dull the reality that was in front of them because that wouldn't have done them any good. They walk outside and they're like, oh, I'm just going to go back in and avoid that, act like it never happened. That doesn't work. That wouldn't have worked for them. They still would have been there. And you and I don't need to dull the reality that's in front of us. And the reality is there are things that are tough. And and you know that. There are things that are hard regardless of whether you're a Christian or not. You're going to have struggles. So we don't need to dull the reality. In Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be, un- be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Get this. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So he says, don't get drunk. There's two ways of handling the same thing. You can dull your reality. Don't get drunk with wine. He says, don't do that. He says the other way to handle your reality is to be filled with the Spirit. That means to take your eyes and set them on a higher plane. To see something, the reality beyond the reality that you're in. We never need to dull the reality, the situation that we're in. We need to see the greater reality beyond. And that's what Elisha and his servant did. They were able able to see the greater reality of God's help surrounding them. In the situations that they were in. Romans 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. For a Christian, that's where the the war takes place. It's between the ears. It's all between the ears. If you can win that war, everything else will fall into place. You know, the scary part about physical blindness is that usually you can't fix it. But one of the beauties of spiritual blindness is you can't. And that is a greater fix than anything physical. But the scary part of it is, is that, you know, physical blindness seems like it was something that would change our life forever. Darren knows that. Many of you who have been close to him know that. I couldn't think of one thing that would change my life more than that. But if you're spiritually blind, you have nothing. What do you live for? What are you going about your life doing? And as we're going to learn in just a second from these uh, from, from the people that were attacking them, that was a problem. But it was also a problem for this believer, as we've stated. So 
The blindness of the believer is dangerous. But let's get now into the enemies. Pick, about, pick back up in verse 18 of 2 Kings 6. It says, So they're surrounded by the horses and chariots of fire. Verse 18. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Wait, what? We expected him to send these horses and chariots of fire down, come crashing in, and take over the enemy, and just have this great explosion where God wins, and, and they walk away free. But that's not what happens. God's about to work something out even more amazing than that. And it kind of reaffirms that point that we never know what God's going to do. We see something, we're like, all right, there it is. That's how God's going to fix it. And then he doesn't blow them up. He strikes them with blindness. What? But we're going to see that God uses blindness, their physical blindness, as a picture of their spiritual blindness. Now Elisha said to them, verse 19, This is not the way, nor is this a city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And as I understand, Samaria was kind of a giant military hub for the Israelites at this time. So he's going to lead them right into the middle of it. And he struck them with a kind of blindness from God's help. It appears that it's not really a total blindness. Because if it was a total blindness, they would have gone, whoa, we're not going anywhere. Stop. This isn't happening. What's going on? They just say, okay. But he led them to Samaria, so they followed him. So the next thing we will notice about this is the blindness of the unbeliever is usually a delusion. They don't even realize that they're blind. They don't even realize the problem they're under. That was a, that was a key sign for the, for the believer is that he was freaking out and he didn't realize what he couldn't see, but the unbeliever had the same issue. He didn't even know he was blind. And so he follows them. Verse 20, So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So he walks them right into Samaria. I don't know if this was like a Pied Piper situation. I don't know what they talked about for this long walk to Samaria with God's people and then their enemies falling right behind them. But they get into Samaria and the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So this king sees this, the, the king of Israel sees this, and he's, he always sees it as an opportunity. He sees this way out, and he's like, all right, let's pound them. But he says, no. Would you do that to your prisoners of war? These aren't even yours. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So God works something out through this, that wouldn't have happened had they just, boom, taken over with the horses and chariots of fire and destroyed them. They, came, they brought them in, they took care of them, and they sent them on their way, even though they knew they were right in their hands. They could have been taken right there. And this is a perfect picture of God's mercy. The perfect picture of what Jesus would come and do. He would see us, his enemies, Right there at his fingertips, all the time. When they came to get him in the garden, he came out and he's like, who are you guys looking for? 
And they said, Jesus. And he says, I am. He uses that, that word, those words of deity, the I am from the Old Testament. He says, I am. And they fall on the ground. Showing that Jesus was going to be taken by his will. Not because anyone was making him. This is a picture of Jesus because Jesus poured out a feast of his own flesh and blood for us. For the enemy. That came into his camp and was trying to take him. He brought the enemy in. He fed them. He fed us. He took care of us. And he gave us a new life to walk away. Are we going to use that new life for him? Because it says these guys never came back. It changed them forever. You don't see stuff like that. Has he changed you? Has he really changed me? It's beautiful as we see all the pictures tied to, to, tied to our master, our savior in the Old Testament. So a couple of things just to kind of recap we learn from this is God is always there to deliver you, whether you see it or not. Job went through so much, but it wasn't until the end that he said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. To let these events become something that pulls you closer to God. To let them be things that shape you more into his image in the process, that mold you, that soften you, break you in the ways that need to be taken closer to him. Second Peter 1, verse 5 through 9 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these, are, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get this. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he is cleansed from his old sins. We get a sense of blindness about us when we forget what Jesus did for us. When we forget where we came from. When we forget where we, where we could be without him. So if we're not doing these things, if we're not adding all these things to ourselves, he says we're blind. You're forgetting what, what the reality is. He says you're short-sighted. You don't see the bigger picture, the bigger reality beyond the reality that you're in. So we need to be adding to our faith all the time. And a final message from this is Elisha's faith was, faith was in the moment. You know, for me, I think a lot of times once I just get through this, you know, a lot of times it's little things. Once I just get through this, then I'll feel good. Then I'll be at peace. Then I'll be, you know, my heart can rest and I can have that sense of, ah, oh, I can relax now. But Elisha had that right there in the moment. He's like, hey, man, it's all good. Lord, please open his eyes. You know, it's not the peace that God offers. is not a peace once this happens. Once I pass this midterm, I got to take when I get back. Or once I finish this project. Or once I get through this at work. Or once I get my family the way I want it to be. The peace that God offers is in the moment. The peace that he offers is right where you're at. Right now. You can have that peace. And you can rest in that. And that's what this is all about. You might be having struggles, but you can have peace in the moment because of things like we studied today. Things like Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared 
with the glory that should be revealed in us. He's like, yeah, you might be suffering, but it's not even, he says, I can't, I wouldn't even compare it to it. You know, like you could, you could try to make a comparison, but he's like, I'm not even going to do that because the sufferings that I'm going through, and they're a lot for, for Paul. The sufferings I'm going through aren't even worth putting on a scale next to them. Next to the glory which shall be revealed in us. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And the reality is, sometimes you know you have those moments where your faith is strong and you feel that sense of strength wherever you're at. But the reality is, is we're not really going to see that. Eye hasn't seen that. Ear hasn't really heard that. And so, while you don't feel like you've gotten that, plat, that mountaintop moment yet, it's coming. It's coming. I will see it, and I will, or an ear will hear it. You just hold on. It will. It's coming. And as we approach the world with this hope, as you say, okay, i got to share, share this with, our peop- with other people. Like, this is free money. People have to know about this. Why doesn't anyone want this? Just remember that every time God cured the blindness, it was when Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes. And so as you take it to other people, let's remember to pray. Because if you were going to try to cure somebody else's blindness, you, would, you wouldn't get, on, get your hands out and start rubbing them together and get ready. It wouldn't do you any good. You know that you have no power in your hands to heal anything like that. How much greater the spiritual blindness? So as we take it to people, let's take it with that prayerful mentality. The attitude of, I have to get on my knees and ask God to please give this person sight. Open their eyes. And God has promised as we studied this morning that, hey, he'll help us out. If it lines up with his will, he's going to help us. And we can know that. And if you're not enjoying that, that peace that we've talked about today, that realization, that perspective that you have in your life, you can you've heard the word, you believe, you're ready to change your life, confess that Jesus is the Son of God. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins and added to his body. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.